Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 33. Genesis chapter 33. A few years ago, I assumed one of the greatest and most challenging roles of my life. I became a parent. And I will tell you that there are so many blessings that do come, but there are also challenges that come as well. And one of the things that I did not know I would have to do, one of the gifts that I would have to develop is this gift of refereeing. You know, all of a sudden, I'm an umpire. I'm a referee. I've never done that before. Now, I know you look at me and you think, this guy, he's got to have played all these sports and he must have done all these things in life because look at his athletic physique and all of those kinds of things. You would think that I would be right in the middle of that. But all of a sudden, as a parent, I have become a referee and an umpire. And what I do oftentimes is actually have to um, arbitrate or make calls on different types of conflicts or struggles, or let's just call them what they are, fights that my children are involved in. All right? Maybe I'm the only one that's ever experienced that as a parent, huh? Sometimes I have to kind of help them as they go through their struggles. A few years ago, I think it was about three years ago or so, I was outside, and Leslie was outside, we were working in the yard, and one of the good things about when you have multiple children is that if you have at least three, one's going to tell on the other two, right? So we were outside, and one of our kids came running out, and they said, you know, uh, this one and this one is fighting right now. Well, that's not a surprise, but you could almost hear the terror in his voice when he mentioned that. He was concerned, so we came in, and of course, one had the other one down pinned, and that one had the other one by the head of the hair, and no one was moving. Well, that comes with parenting. And it's amazing that if you look in our lives, even as we mature in our lives, we can still have those kinds of conflicts and issues. They may not play out in the same way. But I'm going to tell you that there are people today that have 20-year-old bodies or 40-year-old bodies or 60-year-old bodies and yet, they still have some of the same conflict, some of the same struggles that a five-year-old would. Especially when it comes to relationships. You know, I am convinced that some of the greatest injuries that we experience can be relational. Now, Wednesday night, we'll gather together. Many of us will come and we will have a moment of prayer. Those prayer requests most often will focus upon those physical issues. And we appropriately pray for those people. We believe that God is the great physician and that he heals. But may I suggest to you that it's not just the physical issue that we face in life, but too many of us have faced these relational conflicts. And many of us will come together and we'll know that there is some type of struggle, some type of conflict that we have with someone else. There's a relational injury that we've experienced. May I say to you today that as we look at this passage, that I have great hopes for it, just as I would for any message, but especially for this one, that I have great hopes that somehow as we dig into God's Word and it challenges us and it convicts us, that somehow it will lead us to a place where we will make relationships right where we will take the initiative to see healing to see reconciliation 
in our lives. I want you to see this beautiful picture of reconciliation and restoration that you find in Genesis 33 between Jacob and Esau. In verse 1, the narrative picks up and it says, Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came nearer to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? And so he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please. If I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. Inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God. And you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you. Because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough. So he urged him. And he took it. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of restoration and reconciliation. From this passage today, I want to give you five key elements, five key elements involved in making the relationship right. Now, don't get overwhelmed. Five. I know you're concerned because usually I preach three-point sermons and we still get out of here right at 10, right? Some of you are already concerned. I was challenged at the Rustic Civic Center in front of everybody last night to preach short sermons. So I'm going to do what I can, okay, to get these five in. But I want you to see five elements that I think can be practical and I know they are biblical in the way we make relationships right. Five elements. The first element is responsibility. Responsibility. Now the narrative tells us that Jacob is headed back to Canaan. We've seen this just a couple weeks ago as he started out going toward this land that had been promised to his grandfather and his father and now he is going back to claim the land 20 years had passed 20 years had passed since he had been there 20 years of trying to uh, uh, see what god was going to do in his life in those 20 years they had been filled with deception and blessing and now he comes back 20 years back to canaan well Going back to Canaan means you've got to face, well, for Jacob, it means you've got to face your brother. You know you're going to see him. You know he's there, and you know what he said. He said the, that in the day that my father dies, I'm going to kill you, Jacob, my brother. That was the word that he had spoken. And now Jacob has to go back, and he's got to experience, he's got to face Esau. You know, there are times when you show up at certain events, certain celebrations, certain parties, and you know somebody's going to be there, right? 
and you almost kind of cringe. Maybe it's at your family reunion. Now, I know none of you have moments like this, but maybe it's the family reunion, and you know Aunt Susie's going to be there. You know she's going to be there. And you're thinking to yourself, I just don't want to run into her. I hope she doesn't grab me and tell me about all the good old days. I hope that I don't have to get caught for a 45-minute seminar. Amen or oh me. Folks up in the gathering, I hope you a whole lot more with me this morning than this group is. But you just don't want to see certain people. And sometimes you know they're going to be there, and you know there's a little bit of a stress and a little bit of conflict that you might have with that individual. Whether it's a certain gathering or whether it's a fellowship time on Sunday morning. And you try to escape their presence. Look, folks, Jacob goes back to Canaan. And in this, he is going to take some type of responsibility. He's taking the initiative. Now, yes, those 20 years were self-exiled, and you could talk about how God was sending him and how Uncle Laban... But I want you to see that somehow Jacob was going back to Canaan, and he was going to face his brother. Now, in these initial verses, you may think he's up to his old scheming tactics. It says that as they go along, he divides the children, he puts the maidservants in front, he puts Leah and her children there, and then Rachel and Joseph, well, in the back. Maybe it's just an idea of scheming. Somehow he's just trying to deceive and scheme his way out of this. But then you look... Well, then you look in verse 3, and it says, Then he crossed over before them. In other words, yes, Jacob, he divided out all his family, but then he took the lead of crossing over to meet his brother. Now, I don't know if that surprises you or not, but it does surprise me just a little bit. Because if you look at the M.O. of Jacob, If you look at his profile in the last few chapters and in the studies that we've had, he's anything but a guy who will take initiative and who will go out front, especially when he's facing possible death. But verse 3 says he took the initiative and he led his family. What has happened to him? What has happened to the point where Jacob feels like he can take such an initiative in his life? Well, the night before. You remember that night as he's there by the brook, the Jabbok brook? And what does he do? He wrestles with God. He comes away from there saying, I have seen God face to face. In other words, from the experience that he's had with God, he now has the courage to go and face Esau. Let me say to you, that when we get before the presence of God and God works in our lives in such ways, he will give us the courage we need to make things right with others. And I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not saying to you that it's not tough going and facing individuals and trying to find reconciliation and restoration. This was a tough thing for Jacob to lead and take the initiative and go across to meet Esau. But yet something had happened in his life. His face-to-face meeting with God had encouraged him and given him strength that he could go and he could face Esau. 
And may I say to you that when you come to that point of taking initiative and taking responsibility in your life and, and going, it must grow out of that experience that you've had with God. Only through his presence and his encouragement and his strength can you truly make things right. Today, as we come to this place, I recognize that all around this sanctuary and the gathering, wherever you are, wherever our people will be today, that there are all kinds of strained relationships. It's the nature of the fallen world that we live in. All of us have experienced injury and pain. And all of us, if we would admit it, all of us in some way have probably injured someone else. And yet God calls us to take responsibility and initiative in our lives to make things right. Well, who should take the initiative? The one who's hurt or the one who did the hurting? I think it's fascinating in the New Testament the way Jesus speaks about both issues. I want you to listen. In Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus is speaking, as he is talking about those who have hurt one another, he says, in Matthew 5, 23 in particular, he says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you come in a moment of worship, and you're offering this gift to God, and all of a sudden you... You recognize, you have this sense that you have wronged somebody else. Then what should you do? He says, leave that gift there at the altar. He says, leave that gift and you go and you take the initiative, you take the responsibility and you make it right with that individual. That's what he says, right? God is more concerned with our right relationship than he is even with the expression of worship. He is more concerned about us being right with others. So in other words, if you've hurt somebody, if there is an injury, even a perceived injury, you have the initiative or you have the responsibility to go and make those things right. That makes you feel better, right? That means all I got to do is kind of sit back because that person knew he hurt me and uh, I'm just waiting on him. Jesus said it's his responsibility. Well, listen to this. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus speaking again. What does he say? He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. In other words, Jesus says, If you know that your brother has fallen short, your brother in Christ, that he's assuming here, has fallen short of the glory of God and has somehow sinned and maybe even injured you. He says, what do you do? He says, you go and talk to him. You go and talk to him. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. So in other words, if you've been hurt or you recognize a fallenness there, you still have an initiative to go. Two different places. Whether you're the one that's hurt someone or someone's hurt you, basically, 
What Jesus says is, take the initiative. Either way, you are to go. Why? Because right relationships are so important to God. Why would we not want to just simply take the initiative, take the responsibility to go? Now, I know what some of you say. Some of you say, Reggie, I'm going to tell you they would have to come back to me with their, on their knees begging me for forgiveness. All of a sudden, I felt the hush of guilt go across this place. There is no way that I would be the one to take initiative. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said? I'm going to say to you, God always calls us as the people of God to take initiative and responsibility in our lives, regardless of what has happened, regardless of what comes in this fallen world. God calls us to take the initiative in our relationships. Whether we've hurt someone, whether we've been hurt, God calls us to go. And here's Jacob. Jacob is going. He's going to have to face Esau. He knows he has to, but he takes the lead. He steps out in front. It is so important. It is so important in our lives to keep certain relationships where they should be. Whether it's with our children or our grandchildren, whether it's with our parents, whether it's with our spouse, whether it's with our brother or sister in Christ, that we take the initiative. That we live as in peace with one another as is all possible, the scripture says. That we take the initiative and we go to them. It's so much better to go to them, to go to that person. So much better to go to that individual and take the initiative instead of telling everybody else what you got against them. It's so important that you go to them and take the initiative instead of, may I say it, post it on Facebook. I think today what we have done, even with some of our technology, is that we will say things and do things in these means that we would never say or do face-to-face with people. And yet, God's Word says you ought to go to them. Take the initiative in your life. So first, the first element in making a relationship right is responsibility. That responsibility that comes, that initiative that comes in our lives. And God calls us to take responsibility. Second, Second element, humility. We take the responsibility and then we embrace humility in our lives. Again, Genesis 33, it says in verse 3 that not only does Jacob cross before them, it says that he bows himself to the ground seven times. He bows himself seven times. Of course, Many of you who are students of Scripture, you know that's the idea of complete humility, commit, uh, complete submission that he demonstrates. Later on, uh, the rest of his camp, the rest of his family, they will bow in subsequent ways as they demonstrate their humility. Now, some of you think, oh, this is just a ploy by old Jacob. You know Jacob's schemer. He's a deceiver. He's just trying to get by at this point. no. When you read his words and you see his expressions, they reflect true humility. In verse 8, 
He will even say to Esau, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Notice he is submitting himself to Esau. Humility. Humility. When you go to make something right with someone else, you ought to always go clothed in humility. No matter if they're the one who's injured you or you have injured them, humility ought to reign in our lives. I'll be one of the first ones to say that for me, my household, probably for all of us, a good dose of humility would go a long way. Humility. When you go to someone, when you talk to someone, when you're trying to make things right, it's not the right moment to try to, to, try to litigate every issue that you've had. You know, it's not the right moment necessarily to say, well, let me tell you exactly, you have hurt me. And, and, just, and just talk about how everybody else is wrong and you are never wrong. And Most of those conversations never turn out well. And if the true purpose is to bring reconciliation and not vindication necessarily, then you will embrace humility. Humility. To humble yourself, to approach someone else in such a way. Responsibility, humility, and then third, I would say is repentance. Repentance. The third element that helps us make relationships right. Well, you have to move on down just a little bit to see what I think is a repentant type of heart that Jacob has toward Esau. You'll see that he has sent a gift. In verse 10, he says, No, please, if I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I have seen the face of God. Verse 11, Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Now that response came from Jacob saying, or Esau saying, Where'd you get all this stuff, Jacob? And, 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 and Jacob basically says, all of this stuff that I have is a blessing from God. Now, I think that's a great perspective, first of all. I mean, can you imagine the way some of us would have answered that? Some of us would have said, you, well, you, see, you see this flock and you see these. Uh, do you know what I had to do, what I had to go through in order to experience this kind of blessing and favor. I mean, 20 years I was with my Uncle Laban. He deceived me. I mean, I had to marry Leah. I had to marry Leah. I had to work all these years. I was tricked. And he could have complained and complained and complained. He could have told Esau all the difficult things that he had gone through. But he just simply says, all this stuff, all this stuff is a blessing from God. And he basically says, I want you to take my blessing. Take my blessing. Is there something about that word blessing? Is there something about that word that takes us back 
about 20 years in the relationship between Esau and Jacob? I mean, I'm kind of like Jacob. You could have gone all day without bringing up the blessing. Don't use that word. Find a synonym. Go online. Find you a good thesaurus. Use something else besides the word blessing. Because when you tell him to take your blessing, it's going to conjure up images of the last time you saw one another. You remember that? It's where Jacob stole Esau's blessing. I mean, the last time they had been together, the last time that they had seen this conflict truly spiral out of control was all over a blessing. And now Jacob, Jacob has to bring up that word, blessing. I think Jacob brought it up intentionally. I think Jacob brought it up intentionally as almost a way of saying, I'm sorry. Now, I know it's not explicit here, but I do think his bringing up that word, blessing, and saying, I want you to receive my, this blessing. By the way, Jacob was not giving the blessing back to Esau necessarily. You couldn't do that. He couldn't say, now all of a sudden Esau, you're the chosen one and your family will, will inherit the promise. That wasn't what Jacob was saying. What Jacob was basically saying is, take this from me. Try to, try to understand I'm sorry for what happened. I'm sorry. Again, a changed man, right? When you spend time with God and you wrestle with him, God not only give you the courage you need to make these relationships right, the humility that you need, but he also changes you in such a way that you can go and you can say, I'm sorry. You might even say in some, at least in some small way, he was making restitution. Or what have you done? Just in some small way, making restitution. When God comes into our lives and that relationship becomes right, we want to make other relationships right. In other words, when the vertical relationship with God has been restored, when it is right, he calls us to go out and make all these horizontal relationships as much as possible that depends upon us as much as we can to make these horizontal relationships right as well. All right, New Testament. His name was Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? One of my heroes. Jesus comes by. The vertically challenged Zacchaeus climbs up into the tree. It's a good role model for me. I try and try to be like Zacchaeus. He sees Jesus. Jesus says, you come on down. I'm going to your house this day. They go to the house. They eat. Some people complain about it because here he is with Zacchaeus. And yet Zacchaeus, as he has met Jesus and there's a change in his life, what does he say? He says, I want to give half of my goods to the poor and I want to make restitution. I want to, I want to go to those that I've injured and I want to pay it back fourfold. 
works, when God works in our lives and he demonstrates those areas where we have, well, where we have injured others, he, he instills a spirit within us to make things right. Repentance, change in our lives. I say to you, all of us could use a good dose of humility. I also say that many of us could use a good dose of repentance. A change in how we view ourselves and how we view God and how we view others. As the people of God. That somehow there's a change. We repent. The fourth key element. Forgiveness. It grows out of this repentance. But forgiveness. Forgiveness. Well, here's Jacob. He was approaching his brother. He bows seven times. He is there not knowing how Esau will respond. But as we see in this text, Esau comes with great forgiveness. It is rather amazing. I mean, it had been 20 years. 20 years. In 20 years, could you imagine how he must, or how maybe we would have nursed that bitterness in our lives? 20 years. He had to stop and think about what Jacob had done to him. 20 years. Many of us, we live with broken relationships and grudges and and it can go on for a long time unfortunately i've seen individuals as it went along in their life that they grew more and more bitter toward that person and sometimes even toward god but here's esau all this time he has the he has the opportunity to nurse that bitterness in his life. And yet, I don't know when it happened. I don't know if it was two days after Jacob left or two months or two years or maybe, maybe it just occurred in his life. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But something dramatically changed in Esau's life that he could come and offer forgiveness to Jacob. Their descendants, yes, their descendants will still struggle but a beautiful picture of forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know, for the believer, forgiveness should rule the day. should reign in our hearts. Bitterness should have no place in the Christian's life. Bitterness becomes like an acid that eats away at us. And can destroy us. But as a believer, what we find in our lives is this idea and this sense of forgiveness. Of release. It should come so easy to us. It should come easy. Now, I will not say it does come easy, but it should come easy. Why? When we recognize how Christ Jesus has forgiven us, it should come easy. To forgive others. A couple of passages. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. There is Paul is writing. He says. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. 
If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. Paul says you got to do this because you have been forgiven by Christ. It's a rather lengthy passage, but I want to read it from Ephesians chapter 2. I might just get to preaching here as I read this, so feel free to interact as we move through, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, listen to this. Paul writes in a similar manner, just as he had written to the Colossians. He said to them, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him, through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Folks, Paul says that every one of us, every one of us in this place, we were enemies of God. We were enemies of God, and yet Christ Jesus came to die for us, to be resurrected, to bring us forgiveness. And I'm going to say to you, when you recognize the grace and the love and the forgiveness in your life, it makes it a whole lot easier to forgive other people. When you recognize you didn't deserve the love of Christ, and when you recognize that you got better than what you deserved, it's a whole lot easier to give somebody else better than what they deserve. Did Jacob deserve the forgiveness of Esau? Absolutely not. But by the grace of God, whatever happened in Esau's life, Esau was able to forgive. You know, I recognize that as I live my life, there will be moments where I'll have to ask people for forgiveness. Why? Well, I hate to tell you, but I'm not perfect yet. I still live in a fallen world. Now, I'm going to be one day. Yeah, you can take it to the bank. Reggie said one day he's going to be perfect. That's exactly right. When I get to heaven and God totally conforms me to the image of Christ. But until then, I'm going to stand in the need of grace. And I'm going to, ask, I'm going to have to have those moments where I say to somebody, I'm sorry, forgive me because I fell short of the glory of God. And if I recognize that I stand in those moments then I hope that I am willing to extend grace to someone else and forgiveness for those who would fall short of the glory, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, my friends, especially boys and brothers and sisters in Christ. 
As the old Puritan preacher said, it's one thing for the wolves, it's one thing for the wolves to worry the sheep. But for one lamb to worry another lamb, it's unnatural, he said, and monstrous. We come together as believers. And there should be a forgiveness. There should be that sense of love. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, he said, I pray that the love that has been between me and you, father and son, that that love would be in them as well. Isn't that amazing? The love that the father and son had for one another, that love is expressed in us. Running out of time, so I got to move on or I'd preach a little more about this. Forgiveness. And finally, that fifth element that has to be involved, well, that fifth is just the reconciliation itself. The reconciliation itself. Verse 4. I told you this is a beautiful picture. Verse 4. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So picture this. Here's Jacob. Not knowing exactly what's going to happen. All he knows is he has seen Esau with 400 men coming at him. And he's bowed and himself before demonstrating humility. But maybe in the process of bowing, I, all of a sudden Esau just takes out running toward him. Could you imagine all the thoughts that must have gone into his mind at that moment? I mean, they had not talked in 20 years. Last time he had heard from Esau, Esau still wanted to kill him. And now Esau's running. So maybe Jacob's just thinking, please God, please God, please God, please God. Jacob doesn't know whether it'll be the right hook or the left jab that's going to get him first. And in that moment, in that moment of truth, in that moment of possible conflict and strife, what happens? Well, Esau bear hugs his brother Jacob. And he kisses him. And they weep. Reconciliation. It's a beautiful picture. When people get things right. When you're able to make a relationship right. It's a beautiful picture. And it's worth the time and the risk and the energy to make such things right. Later on, Jacob will say again in verse 10, I have seen your face as though I would seen the face of God. Jacob says, when I look at you, Jacob, it takes me back to last night to where I wrestled with God and I saw him face to face in that pineal moment. He says, it's like experiencing the presence of God, that reconciliation. That's what it's like when you have a restored relationship, experiencing the presence of God, seeing God do things you never thought you could imagine. Listen to me this morning. I say to you, many of us come relational injuries, strained relationships. And yes, I recognize, yes, I recognize that it takes two individuals to make a relationship 
right and bring it back to where it needs to be. I can't tell you how many year, times over the years that people have come into my office and they've cried over their prodigal child or they've cried over their prodigal parent or they've talked about their spouse trying to make things right. And I've said to them over and over, you can do so much. You can make decisions. You can try to live peaceably, but recognize recognize they've got to respond as well. So I know, I know, I know that it takes two. But my friends, we should never use that as an excuse to give up trying. We should do everything on our part, everything humanly possible, because as we do whatever God calls us, he is able to do the things that are impossible to restore relationships and bring reconciliation. And I say to you today, that as God speaks to you, that as God calls you to make that relationship right, that you would embrace these elements. That you would take the initiative and responsibility. That you'd go with humility. That you'd go with repentance. That you would go with forgiveness. And that you would see reconciliation, restoration in those relationships. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that the God of heaven, that the God of heaven and all of his angels would rejoice. Knowing that his children have embraced making the relationship right in their lives. Let's pray together. Father, we do come to you this morning. We recognize all the frailties, all the issues we have in our flesh. And God, we recognize that relational injuries, well, God, they come in a fallen world. But oh God, oh God, I pray that we would do whatever is possible, whatever is within our energy, to live at peace with all people. And God, in those places, even today, where there are those broken relationships, I pray that you would bring, that you would bring mending, that you would help parents as they are, Lord, restored to their children, children restored to their parents, husbands restored to their wives. God, brothers and sisters in Christ who come to that sense of fellowship once again. And God, this day you deal with us. Deal with us even this morning during this moment of reflection and commitment. In Jesus' name, amen.